there is no right answer and there is no set path. And just because somebody that you're listening to is doing something a certain way does not mean that's how you have to do it. And just because these are the opportunities that exist for artists, quote unquote, it does not mean that those are the opportunities that you need to. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. What's up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Devana, and this week's Gangstar Creative is none other than Sarah Stiber. She's a color-obsessed painter with a healthy self-esteem and a terrible sense of direction. She wanted to become an artist for as long as she can remember and has been striving and thriving in her pursuit of her passion for the past decade. She majored in painting at Boston University and had the opportunity to return to Italy to study abroad. In her Venice art studio, she shined colored lights on her model and created her first electric realism painting, a style that has informed her work ever since. Now she creates celebratory paintings out of her San Diego art studio, exploring themes of social justice resilience and joy every painting has a story and she likes to produce films and curate exhibitions and installations mostly covered in rainbows to spark dialogue and offer more insight into her work her paintings have been showcased at the Oceanside Museum of Art, the Wausau Museum of Art, and in art galleries from London to Australia. She was a featured artist at Spectrum Miami and was named by CBS on Mogul as one of the 15 artists you need to know for Miami Art Week. And over the past few summers, she has hosted Stiber Summer Gallery, an interactive pop-up art gallery in San Diego. Sarah has such a cool journey and such a cool story from over the past 10 years building her art career, so I'm just excited to dive right on in and get into the episode. All right, Gangstars, it's another week, a new episode, and we have an amazing Gangstar creative guest. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to dive in on your journey and for our Gangstar creative listeners to learn more about you. Thank you, Devana. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, of course. No problem. What I love to have you start off with is just telling everybody a little bit about yourself. Who is Sarah? You know, where did you start and where are you today? Yeah. Ooh, okay. Well, I, um, my name is Sarah Stiber. I am a full-time artist. I call myself an entrepreneur. Because, I love it. Um, as your <laughs> listeners know, so much of being an artist, um, especially a full-time artist, involves a lot of entrepreneurial um, endeavors and shifts in creativity. Um, I primarily work in paint, so I love to create large-scale paintings. I call my painting style electric realism. I like to create work about strength, resilience, feminism, like kind of a positive spin of celebrating um, women, what we're all capable of doing, also while shedding a spotlight on social justice issues that I care about. Um, I primarily work acrylic on canvas, but I also create large-scale murals. I just started getting into painting with tape, which I'd love to get into, um, and I'm developing a jewelry line. So um, I love to do all different kinds of things. I love to create my own um, exhibitions. I'm fully self-represented. I love to create giant art installations. So um, I feel like the creative possibilities are really endless with this colorful life that I've developed here. Um. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, did you always want to do painting? Like, how did you first get 
your foot in the door into the world of painting and wanting to create a career out of it? Yeah. So I remember being two years old and painting a rainbow and wanting to be an artist when I grew up, um, <laughs> which I just love because I'm still like, I'm like a grown ass woman painting rainbows <laughs> still. I love um, it. But of course, as I was growing up, the world tells you that like being an artist is a completely impractical career. Like Sarah, what are you really going to do? You know, you get, you get a lot of that. Um, so I, in my like more practical teenage years thought maybe I'd go into therapy or, well, oh no, well, I do want to be an artist. Maybe I'll be a graphic designer. Maybe I'll do a practical form of art. Maybe I'll do art therapy. Mm -hmm. So I, I did like wiggle around a little bit. Um, and then right when I graduated from college, I studied art, um, at Boston university, just thinking, well, this is just something I'm passionate about. I just want to like get this burning desire to be a painter out of my system so I can go to grad school and be something a little more practical. It was like the last, uh, week or two. And I just realized, you know what, fuck it. Like I have one life. I'm so young. I have every privilege in the world to be alive right now, be able to pursue this thing, I should just go as hard as I can. And um, that was 10 years ago this year, and I've never stopped um, pursuing this dream. And I'm so glad that I took that plunge. Wow, that's so awesome. And then I read in your bio too, that you got to like study in Italy, which is pretty cool. And uh, chance of a lifetime for many people. Did you oh, find yeah. that super helpful in discovering your style or, you know, your, your path and wanting to pursue painting or was there any like big difference in learning, you know, painting in Italy versus like in the States? Tell us yes. a little bit about that. Experience. Okay. Well, I kind of jumped ahead. That's a, that's a great question. And yeah, actually my experiences in Italy were super transformative. I actually was mm. lucky enough to be able to pursue or um, to study art there twice. So one time in high school, um, I did an art program my junior year of high school in Florence, Italy. And that was a what? very transformative <laughs> experience for me. It was for one month um, during the summer. And I was supposed to go with one of my best friends and her parents got mad at her and didn't let her go. So it was Dang. just me. I, it was the first time in my life I didn't really have that like social support of like friends or people that I really connected with. And I was in this foreign country by myself basically for the first time. And all I had was, was my art. Um, I had this amazing uh, teacher there named Noah Buchanan. And he was so supportive of me and like sat me down one day during the program was like, Sarah, like you have talent. If you don't pursue art in college, like you just have to pursue art in college. You got to take this seriously, like run with whatever you've got going on. Um, and so that encouraged me to apply and get into Boston University and study painting there. And then while I was there, um, the study abroad program went to Italy. <laughs> so I applied and got in to go to Venice, um, wow. Italy. And I had this dope little studio that we like took a boat to every day on this island off of Venice what? called Giudecca. It was like totally dreamy and insane. Um, and that experience was so transformative in so many ways. Um, first of all, like the the art program that I went to at Boston University was super academic and rigorous and super about mm -hmm. like, my art teachers would say, oh, art is 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration, like work, work, work. It's like this Boston puritanical, like workhorse art mentality. And then I get to Italy and they're like, 
oh, it's okay if you're 30 minutes late, if you're like drinking the cappuccino, like we totally understand. Like you have to sit around and let your soul be exposed and get inspired. So it's like such a different like way of thinking. And then um, when I was there, I actually brought these colored lights with me that I found in this thrift store in Oakland and shined colored lights on my figure and had this total like transformation where I always knew I wanted to paint with vibrant color but like hadn't quite nailed the technicality of how to um paint the figure as I wanted to so Mm -hmm. being and having this experience of like being in Italy again and like experimenting with these colored lights and really studying like what color does to a figure and how to paint color um transform my all of my art um forever after and I developed my style kind of close to what it is now, which I call electric realism based on the experience of this electric box that I had in Italy, which was like a total <laughs> fire safety hazard where it was like closed off on all sides and I was shining all these colored lights inside of it. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. I love, you know, hearing people's, you know, stories and experiences when they get to travel abroad because I haven't, I never had the opportunity to do that. So I always find it interesting to know like if it was actually transformative or if it was just more of like transformative from a social aspect, not so much like the study aspect, but it sounds like you got a lot from it from all realms that has, yeah. and it's ultimately led you to where you are today. For sure. And I mean, for me personally, I've found usually that like, I, I don't know, anytime I go on a big trip or get out of my comfort zone, it just forces me to see things from a new perspective. Mm-hmm. And that always is like the genesis for the next big art project or I always come up with ideas um, just like giving myself permission to get outside of the box that I've been in I find that like if I stay home for too long it can be really lovely but I can get stuck in you know and any like we all do like you get stuck in the way of thinking and in your routines and mixing it up I I feel is has been very transformative for me and I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah. So when you finished school and everything, what was like your transition point into um, becoming a full-time artist? Were you like selling work and kind of working as an artist while still finishing up your schooling and you were able to graduate and kind of just go right into, you know, building that career? Or were you still like working part-time and then there was like a moment where you were like, okay, now I can pursue this full-time? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So um, when I graduated from art school from Boston, when I was in Boston and when I was in Italy, everyone who saw my work was like, girl, these look like so much like Southern California. Like, are you from LA? Where are you from? Because (laughs) these just like scream California. And of course, I'm from San Diego. Um, So when I graduated for both practical and artistic reasons, I was like, I I know how hard this is going to be. And because I have the privilege to go home and save money right after school when all my friends were like moving to like live their fabulous lives in Brooklyn or New York, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to not spend the money. I'm going to like invest in myself and give myself that gift of time, which was moving home to my mom's house where I didn't have to pay rent because she's the best. Thank you, mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was there just hustling on art and she just gave me that that gift to be able to not to work and to just 
um, pursue my art full-time from the beginning. It wasn't until maybe two years later that I was making enough money on my work to be able to move out and like pay all my own bills in that way and like pay rent and everything. But I'm so, so grateful to her for the opportunity to have that springboard, um, where I didn't have to work right out of school. Um, and then right out of school and moved back to San Diego. Let's see. I, um, juried into Spanish village art center. Do you know what that is? I do not. It's, um, it's this, it's kind of interesting. Okay. So Balboa park, which is in San Diego, it's like this park. It's like our central park and cultural yeah. center. Um, and within Balboa park, there's this, little artist community called Spanish Village Art Center. So it's government subsidized art studios. Um, mm. And people who get juried into one of these studios because they're so inexpensive are basically there for the rest of their lives. So it's nearly impossible to get one of these studios. <laughs> um, and the scene there is way more craft focused than like contemporary art focus. So it wasn't exactly the perfect fit. But right when I got home, I was just applying to everything and like trying to talk to everybody I could and just make this thing happen and get this thing off the mm. ground. Um, so I did apply to this art center. I got in and then a couple weeks later, um, somebody who had a glass blowing art studio invited me to work in their studio. So that was really a cool opportunity to just be thrown into the art scene because I was 22 years old. I just graduated and I'm like in this really touristy little like center in the studio where the people are blowing glass and tourists are walking around and I'm making my art and talking to people as they walk through the door all day long. So it really was like a crash course and getting comfortable talking about my work, like learning what mm -hmm. people responded to. And I started selling work and getting commissions pretty soon after. So um, that was kind of a, my first step into um, how I got started in San Diego. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So it sounds like, you know, you kind of put your all into finding opportunities. So you said you were just like applying to a bunch of things, like finding all these different artistic opportunities and whether it was luck or right timing or God or whatever you want to say, you got into that, that studio and your networking kind of got you in connection with a glass blowing studio, which then resulted in you like showing your work and like practicing your social skills of how to talk about your artwork and yourself and then getting your commissions from that. Does that sound pretty accurate? Yes, exactly. Wow. And I think that that, um, I just like went full throttle with that same energy and like never stopped hustling or like faking it till I made it or talking to anybody. Yeah. Like I was, it was like, I, what happened? So after I was at Spanish village, I got annoyed because like the, the style of art in that space <laughs> was just so different from what I was doing. And somebody yeah. like kept telling me like, Sarah, I think you'd do really well if you start painting little paintings on rocks and trying to sell those for $20. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. I like pull... <laughs> I have this truck that <laughs> I've driven all the way, you know, for the last like 15, 10, 15 years, it's been like my mm -hmm. little companion that I drive my paintings around in. And I shoved my biggest paintings in the truck and like drove downtown San Diego to like this art gallery I really wanted to get into and like brought my paintings out. And I was like, please give me a show. Like I want to show. And I'd never shown in a oh, gallery. Wow. So, so much of it was just like being bold and being like, I literally have nothing to lose here. Um, and then a couple months later, he gave me an art residency at another little fishbowl studio where I was like interacting with the public in downtown that led to my first solo show Went to some other 
galleries and got like so then anyway from there I moved around to different studios and I wasn't making any very I was making very little money at the time so Mm -hmm. every opportunity I got was free or um some kind of trade it was like in order like I will I will ring people up at your art shop if you give me the space in the back as my art studio and I'll also get commissions so like I had maybe three or four studios after that that were kind of yeah just from networking talking to everybody I could like wanting to be in the public eye and kind of like develop a bit of a of a community around art and um, figure out like what kind of clientele I could generate from doing that wow you know I what I love most about this is like you literally put yourself out there. And I think that's something that a lot of creatives struggle with is putting themselves out there, you know, hiding in their room or like wherever they paint, you know, hiding behind the computer. But you were just like, I'm going to go all in, put myself out there, talk to people, figure out how I can get out these opportunities. And even you saying like, you kind of worked it out where like you would say like, hey, in exchange for me, you know, ringing up people, like I can paint in the back and also get commissions. Was that like something you thought of, like that business strategy? Was that something that you had like thought of to figure out like a win-win of working with the studio owner? Or did someone say like, hey, like, t- like gave that advice to you? Or did the right. studio owner like well, it suggest it must have that? been something I thought of because I've done it so many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I Honestly, I think it was a bit of a, of a, like some of them, maybe people came to me and it became a discussion, some of them, but there have been so many things in my life that like I've pitched something and, you know, it's like, I, I Mm -hmm. firmly believe that opportunities, the opportunities that, um, are out there that are being advertised to you are not the only opportunities that exist. I think there's opportunities in everything. And I think the best opportunities are the ones that people don't know about, no one's heard of that you were inventing for yourself. So that's really been a big um, motto and driver for me. Like for example, in 2017, I really wanted to show um, at Art Basel Miami, the contemporary art fairs out there during art week. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford an $8,000 booth. So I came up with this idea that I would create this whole exhibition. I'd create a giant ribbon tunnel installation, like entryway for the show. I'd create a video. I'd like hire dancers. I'd make them costumes. And I pitched this whole like professional proposal of like, look, I'm going to make your art show awesome. And like give people opportunity, people like things to write about and people give people like installations to take photos in front of. All I want is a free booth in San Diego and Miami. Um, and it, they went for it. So <laughs> I think that's just an example <laughs> that like, you just got to ask for what you want and work really hard and be dependable and come up with creative solutions. Cause you don't need money to have an art studio and you don't need, um, money to have opportunities and you don't need, you know, I mean, you do, you do to survive of course, but I think that right. there's so much that can be done at the beginning. Um, that you can just kind of talk your way into. Wow. There's so much I want to unpackage there. And it's cool that you touched on, you know, how you kind of snuck your way into Art Basel. And I want to (laughs) tap into that later on in this conversation. But for everybody listening, I just think it's just so powerful that you share that because so many people like look at artists like yourself or, you know, whatever, in whatever industry. And they're like, how did they get to where they are like how did they get these opportunities and i just love the fact that you created the opportunities for you and you mm-hmm. just thought of like 
ways to make it a win-win for you and the other person. And in, as a result, you're able to not only make those connections, but also get new collectors and clients and sell things and continue like growing and spreading your name in the industry. And I just, I just love that. That's so awesome that you, you did that. Yeah. Thank you. And to the listeners who are maybe a little bit more new, I really can't stress enough how much faking it till I make it has been like crucial in my art business. Like I know that everyone, especially artists experience so much imposter syndrome. Um, and I'm sure mm-hmm. like, I mean, we all do. Right. But I think yeah. as much as you can just pretend (laughs) that you're incredibly confident and incredibly successful it's really amazing how much people will believe you at the beginning even when you haven't really achieved much um there's another experience where i was like showing at this dinky like street fair in san diego and some random guy invited me to like showcase my work in a hallway in los angeles i was like yeah of course (laughs) like i was just taking anything And I drive up to LA and like show in this hallway and I'm out like hanging out with my friends and someone came up to me and was like, hey, like this art gallery owner said he really liked your work. And I like wrote down his name, slept in LA the next morning. I like show up at that gallery in LA and was like, hi, I heard you like my work. (laughs) Like, can we talk? (laughs) And he became like a very pivotal mentor in my life. Um, And like, and and if I hadn't had like the cojones (laughs) to like get in there, Um, that wouldn't, that opportunity wouldn't have happened. I probably wouldn't have shown in LA as much. So I think like, you don't, you have nothing to lose. Like what's the worst that'll happen if you, if you just like be bold and put yourself out there when there's like so much to gain. Right. Um, and I think also for new artists, like you can apply to everything and expect, just expect to get turned down more than 50% of the time, like, Mm -hmm. and, and know that that's okay. Right. Yeah, I know there's like lots of books on this um, and I've heard people talk about it. It's like your goal should like see how many no's you can get because yes. if you get as many, like a certain amount of no's and there's a percentage of that there's, that's actually going to be that yes. And you, there's really, it's like if you expect, already expect the no, you know, and you're like aiming, like get excited yes. at least that somebody said no instead of like, you know, because a lot of people don't say anything at all. So as long as you get the response, you know that like people are looking at you and you never know even what could come out of that no. Even if they said no, maybe they're talking to somebody who's looking for your type of work or what you do. And they're like, hey, I actually mm-hmm. had somebody turn in something and, you know, it could still lead to something. And I feel like if people totally. just don't let that no and that fear of rejection get in the way, there's so many things that positive things that could happen out of that. Yes. I love that. I love that. And I also think to new, new artists also go to shows and expect to sell nothing. Like I can't tell you how Mm. many of my early shows I worked my ass off and like had never was bone tired and pulled like, you know, like worked 20 hour days and then sold nothing. And eventually all of those like no's turned into clients down the line or connections where people five years later might buy something. But um, it's, it's really a practice in just pretending to be really confident and not getting discouraged and just, you got to keep trucking. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, you said that you celebrated 10 years in your art business. First of all, congratulations. Thank you That's so, so much. Awesome. What a <laughs> big you. accomplishment. And how does that feel? I mean, that's really like a big accomplishment for many artists and just people, small business owners, entrepreneurs in general, a lot of businesses fail within the first two to three years. So the fact that you've been able to celebrate 10 years in your art business, it's amazing. 
Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's cool. I, you know, it's so funny. I had like this, this being 2020, the year of the apocalypse. Like I had all of these things planned for the 10 year anniversary. I like had subleased an art gallery. I got a rainbow champagne sponsor. Like we were going to throw this epic party. And because that didn't happen, I don't feel like I really got that, like that moment of like, wow, it's really been 10 years. I'm just going to take it in right now (laughs) and tell you (laughs) it it feels great. It's, I mean, sometimes I can't believe like what an epic and wild winding road and journey this has been. And I just, I'm just looking forward to the next 10. Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, you said that you're supposed to do a six week studio swap with somebody in London. How does that, like, what does that even mean? First of all, and how does that, how does that work? How does that come about? I'm sure some people um, listen. This is like, a, actually, now that I think about it, this is like such a perfect continuation for our conversation about just asking for what you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you won't be surprised to learn that. Um, okay. So when I studied abroad, um, I, I, I went to London for um, the first time and was like, this place is the greatest place. Like I need to come back here. The art is so cool. The fashion is so amazing. Like I just couldn't wait to get back there. So I've had this dream for the past probably 10 years that I wanted to paint in London. And I thought like, and you know, I'm not really one to go by the books necessarily. So I figured, well, why do I need to like apply for the art residencies other people are applying for? Why don't I just make my own art residency? So um, Mm. for the last couple of years, just anyone with a British accent really, or like anyone who had any connection to London, I would just say, Um, oh, like it's been a dream of mine to like studio swap with an artist in London. Do you happen to know anybody or, you know, I just like casually bring it up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I was at a party a year and a half ago and there was this British couple there and I did my spiel and was like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to switch lives with an artist in London. Do you know anybody? And they were like, oh, honey, like we have a cottage just 30 minutes outside of London and we're not going to be back there until like June. Why don't you go stay there? Like we'll give you the keys. (laughs) So I was like, whoa, okay. This was last March. So March of um, 2019. So I was like, okay, great. (laughs) This really worked out. So then I was like, now all (laughs) I need is an artist to like rent me their studio. So um, I spoke at a, um, an event about how to make it as an artist at this amazing art studio in San Diego called You Belong Here. Um, and it just so happened that one of the people in the audience was a British artist slash like gallery director named Claudia Kenna. And she's amazing. And I was introduced to her and I gave her my story. And she was like, oh my goodness, I just wrote in my journal last night that like, I want to help the next person who asks me. (laughs) She's like, I have run this gallery for, with her mom owns a gallery in Chelsea, London. She's like, had been the art director of this gallery for years um, and was spending time in San Diego and was like, yeah, let me look into it and I'll get back to you. And she finds me this artist who she's known for years and years and years named Mark Pearson. And he opened up his arms. Like I was planning on paying him to be, I'm past the point of not paying for things, by the way. I want to put that out there. I made a New Year's <laughs> resolution down somewhere down the line that was like, I will start paying for things because there obviously is a give and take for everything. 
Um, Mm -hmm. So anyway, I was planning on paying this guy to rent his studio and he was just like, no, no, please just like come, come paint with me in London. (laughs) I had a free studio and a free place to stay. I brought my mom and my boyfriend and we just were there for two weeks. And then while I was there, this guy, Mark, um, back in March, he, he took me around to the pubs. He took me to art shows. Like he was so, so amazing. And, um, I told him about my real dream, which was to swap lives with somebody who lived in London and him and his wife, Nick were like discussing it. And we, we were ready to go. Like we had our plane ticket. So what we were planning on doing was that this, the end of this month, we were supposed to, they were flying to San Diego Um, I was going to fly to London and we were going to live in each other's homes and paint in each other's art studios for six weeks. Hey, Gangstar. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true Gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're going to want to take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in. Hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? (laughs) All right, thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. And then turns out the girl Claudia who introduced us all, who I met at that event, um, she had moved back to London, become an art curator, and we were all planning um, creating an exhibition together from the work that we created in each other's lives that was going to be March of 2021. But of course COVID hit and that didn't happen, but it's all good. Like I'm not, I'm not that as disappointed as you might think because I'm still here in my little rainbow world making magic and I feel like it will happen one day. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I love all your stories of how you're like getting these opportunities are so unique, but so, so cool and interesting to, to hear. So I'm really happy that you're on the show and everybody listening I'm sure there's lots of like sparks and of inspiration and wheels turning in their heads just based off everything you're saying you know I feel like people probably aren't even asking themselves like okay well how this is what I want well what are some different and maybe crazy ways that I can make this happen and let me just try and do that the crazy stuff works, you guys. Like, there's no reason not. <laughs> there's seriously no reason not to try to do the things you want to do. And there's like yeah. no idea. I think unless it's like harming somebody, that's so crazy that it's not worth trying, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to know what like moment was like the turning point for you in your career where you felt like successful in your career, or do you feel like you haven't yet reached that point? <sighs> That's such a good question. Um, (laughs) Sometimes when people ask me this question, I feel like they want like the star is born answer of like, I was discovered by so-and-so and and my life was changed (laughs) forever after. And I haven't had any moments like that. Um, But I have had a few like pivotal moments that did feel significant um, just for myself, I think. Um, One was, so as I mentioned, when I first started my art career and I was just like chatting with everybody and I was doing a lot of custom portraits and commissions um, and I really loved doing that but as I got more into my craft I realized that like for me to just focus on my own work and for to have people buy my work that wasn't even you know it's not a portrait of you so you're buying it because it, it resonates with you so deeply rather than just mm-hmm. being resonating with you because it is you right so that always felt like a goal to me like if I can just completely stop taking on any custom work, 
Um, and about, I think a year or two ago, I stopped taking on custom work and that felt like a huge turning point wow. where I was like, this feels amazing that people are just buying what's in my heart, you know, um, mm-hmm. and letting it resonate with them. Um, and then another turning point was just a couple weeks ago. This was another crazy idea that I was like, oh my God, like, is this too crazy? Should I try this? Um, But I have been developing this new series of tape paintings and they'd been selling so great just off of my Instagram stories, like before they were even finished. So I realized there was a really large demand for them. um, And it wasn't quite fair to the collectors of mine who aren't like stalking my Instagram stories because they didn't have an opportunity to purchase them. Um, So I was like, what if I did this crazy thing where I offered a pre-sale and I would basically put it out there that if you purchase one of these pieces, you're buying my future art sight unseen without having any knowledge of what it's going to look like. You're basically going to receive an art surprise. So that kind of felt like the next level (laughs) of like, is this, this is insane. I don't know if anyone's going to do this. Um, but I put it out there and they sold out the first day. So right now I'm working on my, my next collection of, um, tape paintings, surprises for everybody who did the pre-orders. And that felt, um, I don't know. I mean, that felt insane. I don't even know how to describe that feeling that people or like my collectors have trust me so much that they were willing to, um, invest in my future creativity and, trust that they would love what I made like that just means the world to me and felt like a very personal pivotal point so yeah uh, yeah. that's amazing congrats on that and I love the that like concept and idea of doing like a pre-sale of not yet created work and the fact that you have the demand and like the people who love you and your work and were willing to you know make that purchase not knowing what they're getting I think that's just so awesome and I think that's definitely goals for any artists that are listening you know like you don't have to worry about is this gonna sell it's like oh it's already sold and I get to like create whatever I want to create and they're gonna love it because they love me and my artwork because they wouldn't have bought it otherwise so that's just that is definitely an awesome milestone it's crazy and and like just reflecting on what we talked about before like how many shows I was part of and spent so much money and invested in that I didn't sell anything you know so it really feels (laughs) like okay like maybe this is gonna work you know maybe I can keep doing this forever (laughs) now and it's it's an amazing feeling how do you actually get your clients and customers or get your projects booked? Is it, has it always been kind of word of mouth by just kind of being around everywhere and talking to people or do people find you? Do you do any sort of marketing or advertising? How does that Mm. work for you? Yeah. Let me think about that. Um, So yeah, when I first started, it was really being in people's faces. I did a lot of I was in four different storefront art studio type spaces at the very beginning and was just really hustling and chatting with everybody. Um, And that was how I got my first couple commissions and booked my first couple shows was just really being out there, taking every opportunity and talking to everybody. Um, From there, I kind of had that realization that I was starting to make money and I needed to invest financially in myself because time is money, right? So it's like, if you're not Mm -hmm. paying for things, you're working for them um, with your time. So I invested in my first art studio that was not in the public and was not free. (laughs) And from there I needed to kind of come up with some different um, strategies. So I did a couple gallery shows. That was maybe when I was 
God, it's like hard to remember what year is maybe like 2014 ish. Um, and just kept doing that thing I do where I make everything a party. Um, for example, I (laughs) had this really awesome opportunity where the Marriott in downtown San Diego, um, I think this was actually like 2012, they contacted me wanting, wanting me to make their lobby centerpiece painting. Um, so that was for sure, like the biggest commission, most exciting project I'd had up until that point. Um, and so I made it and they, they installed it in March of that year, which happened to be my 25th birthday. So my mom and I were like, let's throw a birthday party. (laughs) So we (laughs) threw a giant like art show slash birthday party slash, um, painting reveal at the, um, at the hotel. And it was really fun. So it's like that kind of stuff, like just creating shows where there aren't shows. Like I've always, um, been about that, you know, don't wait for the opportunities Mm -hmm. to come to you anyway. I'm being very long-winded about this, but more recently, um, I've been doing a lot of, or a lot of my business has just come from Instagram. Honestly, um, I feel like I need to expand into different, different spots, but Instagram has, has really blown up lately. Um, I just during quarantine started being very transparent about my prices. Um, totally redid my entire website. Now um, you can purchase my work directly from my site. Um, I've included payment plan options on my website. So I've like really streamlined the process for how you can purchase my work. And I've just been Mm -hmm. doing a lot of online online marketing and um, that's been going really well. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love how it's kind of like a combination of every, uh, lots of different things, but ultimately it came from like the hustle of putting yourself out there and then just kind of growing your audience and your collector list and things like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's just kind of yeah. trying everything and seeing what sticks, I guess. Yeah. Now you had mentioned how you were able to get into Art Basel in Miami, and that was basically by pitching this crazy, cool idea, like installation of some sort. Is was had you ever been to Art Basel or Basel beforehand, or that was just like I want to show there, I want to go to Miami and showcase there. How can I do that? Well, let me just do this crazy big thing for them, and then hopefully in return they'll want to, you know me up and allow me to show my work too. Yeah. Um, actually, yes, I had, I, um, I showed there in 2014 and 2016. Um, but those were through galleries. Um, and that was the first time going to that show was the first time I'd ever even been to Miami and it blew my mind. Like the clothes is amazing. <laughs> the, like the style's out of control, the street art, like in Wynwood, the energy, yeah. it's just, it's wild. Like there's so many people there that like, you don't have cell phone reception. It's kind of, it's, um, it's, it's too much, but it's just really exciting. So I always had it in my mind. Um, 2017 was about the time that I made the transition from being like, okay, I want to be a gallery artist to, you know, I just want to be self-represented. Like I want to use my entrepreneurial skills and, and be my own boss and build my own team rather than giving 50% to the galleries. So that was, um, it felt like very pivotal because I was like, okay, I want to do this show myself. I want to run it myself. Like my mom, me and my best friend flew out there and like hustled the booth on our own. We set the whole thing up and it was, um, we, so yeah. And we created this, um, 
giant ribbon tunnel installation with my friend Teresa Finch, who's amazing. And we set it up in San Diego and then disassembled it, shipped it to Miami and then set it up in Miami with a bunch of flight attendants. Like, (laughs) um, it it was like such a crazy experience. What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So I thought that they were going, they were planning on giving me volunteers. And then like the day before they were like, there's no, no volunteers available. You're going to have to figure out how to install this giant installation by yourself, which was impossible. Um, it, like we were talking about the well, beginning of this episode, like, there's, <laughs> but there's always gotcha moments. Like, I think that's just like part of the mindset you got to have is like, things are going to go wrong. You got to have a plan A, B, C, D, and E, and then like figure out F when <laughs> none of those work. Yeah. Um, and a friend that I had studied abroad in Italy with to bring it back, she ended up living in Miami and she was a flight attendant. So I was like, Hey, I'm in a bind. You're the only person I know in this whole city. I need people to help me. (laughs) And she like called up all of her flight attendant friends and they all showed up on a Monday afternoon and were amazing. And we all have, I'll send you a picture after um, this episode. Like it was, it was unbelievable. And I still like keep in touch with some of those flight attendants. They're like the most helpful um, down people. And we like partied all week. It was really fun. (laughs) wow how crazy because I can only imagine like if I were in that situation I'd just like be so wrecked and like panicked but then somehow like that would have been like the last thing on my mind obviously like I want to think about who I know in the area and how it can help but how it just turned out to be like a flight attendant that you knew and then like a bunch of her flight attendant friends coming to help you like install artwork, which is like probably totally left field from what they're typically used to doing, you know, it's, yeah. it's just so crazy. And I love that, that, that worked out for you, you know, yeah. so wrong. So, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time like freaking out and crying and then like putting my hair in a bun <laughs> and like putting on Beyonce and just getting it together. Like, I feel like that's, the transition that goes <laughs> that goes on, you know. So I definitely, it's not like I am so resilient that I don't freak out when things go wrong. It's just like I feel like over the past ten years, I've learned that they always will. <laughs> yeah. So I just gotta pivot, you know. Yeah, definitely gotta do what you gotta do. As yeah. somebody who's like, you've had the traditional sense. So you started out having your artwork in galleries and being represented by galleries, and then somebody who is also experience you know being independent and just managing your own brand and your own artwork do you feel like you know today's age with everything like social media and things that like most artists should not really consider doing the traditional sense of going through a gallery do you feel like there's a lot of different pros and cons to each or is there one that you favor more Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'm sharing my experience as a person. Like, I believe that everybody has amazing strengths and everybody should respect their weaknesses and play to their strengths. And Mm -hmm. as somebody who can like talk your ear off (laughs) and (laughs) isn't shy to ask for what I want, um, I have found a lot of success on the entrepreneurial path. And I'm very creative thinking about events and marketing strategies and like that to me is part of my art like it's 
it feels like it plays into my creativity. It doesn't feel like selling out. Like it's, it, it doesn't, I don't feel that like pull of like, there's the business and the art. Like for me, it's all creative. Unless we talk about numbers, then I'm like, oh, I cannot deal with this. But like when I talk <laughs> about running the business and the marketing, the, that stuff is very fun to me. So anyway, mm. all that is to say that I think for people like me, yeah, dude, go for it. We got the internet. Like we can, yeah. you can make things happen on your own. But of course, there are so many artists who want to just make their work. And that is beautiful and valid and like so legitimate. And for those people, a gallery relationship can be a really beautiful and helpful um, kind of relationship. So I think it really just depends on um, your personality type and, and how you want to live your life. Another thing for me is because like, I like to create installations. I like to create campaigns. I like every one of my paintings has a story and I like to create documentaries around it. It's like, I like to control my narrative. I'm not the kind of artist mm -hmm. that makes the same painting again and again, or, you know, that has a similar aesthetic that just like, I kind of <clears throat> keep making something that sells. And I'm, you know, so for that reason, if my work was just like a one-off in a gallery, I feel like I don't have that same control over the narrative. So it, there's a million ways to be an artist. I think being a gallery artist is 100% valid and a wonderful way to do it. it just wasn't for me. Gotcha. I love that. And it's like just kind of whatever you feel like works best for you. Um, go with that. But I also love, you know, I'm all about creating like freedom and how you want to have control of like, you know, where your destiny is as far as your brand and your business. And I feel like there's so much uh, opportunity out there with given like with the internet and social media and all of that. And I've heard so many different mixed stories about like, you know, galleries versus, you know, being independent. So it's really cool hearing your take on it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's, it's all, it's all what works for you. You know, there's really no right way to do this and no correct path to follow. So I, exactly. I personally, I've like, I call myself zigzag girl. Like I like to zigzag from one thing to the next and like assess and be like, all right, that thing, not for me. I'm zagging over here. Like this thing definitely <laughs> working. I'm going to zig over here now, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's all journey. <laughs> Yeah, you know, one of the biggest uh, hard questions that many creatives face, especially beginning in their careers, is pricing. So I'm curious to know mm -hmm. if you have a method for your pricing, if it was different from when you started out, and like what you would recommend to those who are listening that feel like they struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Pricing is really hard. Um, when I first started out, I didn't have too much of a system, and now I have a little bit more of a system, though I still get called out that my system isn't foolproof. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I try and do is price per, and what I recommend doing as well, pricing per square inch and having different tiers of pricing systems. So for example, like paintings that are 11 by 11 to 16 by 16 inches, like smaller scale paintings will be a higher per square inch price, let's say $8 a square inch. Paintings that are medium size, like 24 to by 24 to like 36 by 36 or some whatever medium range is for you and your work could be a lower price point, like $6 a square inch. And then paintings that are larger, like uh, 40 by 40 and up can be something way smaller, like four and a half dollars a square inch. And, you know, do the math and try and figure out what makes sense for you. Because, you know, as artists, we know that it's not like a small painting is so much less work than a larger painting mm -hmm. that's worth half the money or like an eighth of the money, which is how a square 
inch system would work out if you didn't do those tiers. So, um, but something like that, I think can be really helpful, some kind of system that has some kind of basis in numbers, um, both for you as an artist and for your collectors. I think that collectors like to know that there's some kind of like rhyme or reason to why they're paying for things. Like art can be so relative and having a system can be helpful for them to understand what they're paying for. And then also as an artist, like art is so emotional and I think it can be hard to take our hearts out of the work. Um, we want to charge way more for the pieces we really like and then we want to like let the ones go that we don't like as much that are the same size but that kind of consistency um, can be really helpful. That's awesome and I think it's interesting too that you shared like you have a higher um, cost per square inch when it's a smaller piece of work and then as you get bigger you kind of lower that and I feel like maybe some people listening might think like oh I would have thought it would be like the opposite, but I know like from my experience, I feel like the smaller it is, like the more, like, I feel like it's harder to paint smaller where like painting a mural for me, feels like it's always a lot, almost easier in a sense. It's like a lot oh more God, like body work, you. but it's like easier in a sense of like being able to capture the detail, you know, whereas like the smaller it is, it's just like, it's, I don't know, it's like harder. So I could totally see how that, that actually makes more sense. I hear you. I hear you. And, and to be clear, the smaller paintings cost always cost way less than the larger paintings. Yeah. Um, it's just that if the like if the price were consistent per square inch throughout, then like a, I wish I had like the numbers in front of me, but a smaller painting would be like one sixteenth of the price of the larger painting. And it just doesn't make sense because so much work goes into both to like make mm -hmm. the price so drastically different just because it's a little bit bigger when the same amount of work goes into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have different um, revenue streams in your business in place? I know like some creatives, they have like their originals and they have commissions and then they do murals and they have prints or I know you mentioned you're launching jewelry. So um, yeah. what are those revenue streams for you? Yeah, so I've got my original paintings, um, and which are now all available on my website, which I'm so excited about. <laughs> and then um, I have my prints. So I have a line of G Clay paper prints that I have. Um, I have a section on my website I call prints and um, gifts because I also have a little art book that I made, which is, I think it's like 180 pages or something of my art, my own writing about the inspiration behind it. Um, I have a little coaster set. And then now I'm getting into jewelry. So I have been designing um, these dope acrylic jewelry pieces that are going to be so colorful and so awesome. I love jewelry. I love painting it. I love, and it's all inspired by my work. So each piece of jewelry is inspired by a painting or a series. Um, and I'm really excited to launch that hopefully pretty soon. And then who knows what's next? I mean, I feel like I've always wanted to get into fashion. Um, and I just got into painting murals and, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing a lot of different kinds of stuff now. And then of course the tape art is, you know, it, it's kind of lumped in with the painting in terms of a re revenue stream, but it feels like kind of a, a departure in terms of a medium. Gotcha. That's really cool. I mean, somebody who's doing so many different things. I'm curious to know what like your daily routine looks like. Oh, well, um, since COVID get started, done? <laughs> <laughs> um, every day is different kind of, um, yeah. I mean, 
I had my, my lovely art studio at Arnon 30th, um, which is an art studio space in North Park. That was when I, the one that I actually paid for, like my grown up art studio that I had a door I could lock. <laughs> um, I had that for six years. Um, and then when COVID hit, and it was sort of a dual reason why I left the studio. Um, when COVID came around, I was like, it doesn't make sense to, um, you know, to have the studio in a public space yeah. right now for safety reasons. Um, but also I have been expanding my team. So now I have two part-time employees that I work with and I have more and more meetings and things. Um, and so I did realize that I was going to need to transition to a space where there was a little bit more privacy for meetings and that kind of thing. Um, and at the studio, the doors were a bit open. So anyway, um, I've moved home and I never, ever thought I would like painting from home, but turns out I love it. So my, oh, cool. my schedule now is a little different since COVID. I'll like do yoga outside. I like right before I talked to you, I was working on a mural proposal. I usually work on like whatever painting project I'm working on, like multiple hours of the day, put away time for emails. I don't know. Everything gets done, but there's not like a strict um, system that that I go through and, and all days are, are kind of different, but maybe once a week, um, my girl Danya comes over and we do shipping um, out of my new ship station, which is my garage. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, there's just like always, always different stuff going on, but I definitely put hours and hours into just making the art every day. And then mm -hmm. I put time into social media every day, put time into emails every day. Um, and I try and do yoga every day and, and then the day's over. <laughs> Do you have a typical time that you start your day and end your day? Um, before COVID, I did. I was like, all right, 7.30 a.m., making it to my everything. yoga class. <laughs> and then, like, I would work however many hours and be done by, like, 6 or 6.30. Um, but now I'm just letting myself sleep in. You know, I'm, I'm just mm – -hmm. I feel like COVID is such a weird time, but I also want to be really conscientious about making it like a gift to be kind to myself um, mm -hmm. and know that I'm going to get everything done too. So I have not been setting alarms. I have not been like, like I'm putting my phone away before bed. So I don't even know what time I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I love that. Just, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people that everyone's like, Oh, do you sleep? Like not even sleep. Like you do so much. I'm like, no, I sleep nine hours a night minimum. Like I need so much. Oh, sleep. that's awesome. Yeah. I need like eight minimum. So you're, yeah. you have one more than I do. Yes. yes. And if I don't, I'm just like so oh. groggy and like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely do a lot of sleeping and, um, yeah, now my days are a little bit more varied just because I'm home all day. So, um, there's not the structure that there used to be. There's not the meetings that there used to be. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll see. Well, let's check back in when life goes back a little bit back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. I know you brought up, you have two, um, employees and that was actually a question I wanted to ask was like, do you outsource? Do you have people that work for you? So it sounds like you have two people that do, are they part-time full-time and what are these people that help your business go around? Like what are their roles as far yeah, as that? Yeah. So, oh my God, I work with the best, best ladies. We call ourselves the Fempire. <laughs> and, um, I work, I have two part-time employees and we don't even have set hours. Like they just kind of bill me for their time. Um, but it ends up being, I don't know, like eight to 20 hours a week, depending on what we have mm -hmm. going on, you know, for each of them. Um, uh, Holly, who I work with is she's like my 
brilliant everything girl. Um, her name's Holly Suter and she's a photographer, a videographer, a web designer, <laughs> um, she's a and unicorn. an artist. I what? love it. She's a unicorn. A little she unicorn. seriously is amazing. And she's so organized. Like this girl can build a spreadsheet like you would not believe, which is not what I'm good at. So I am <laughs> so, so grateful to have her in my life. Um, and yeah, she just built, built my new website. And when I work on film projects, she she does the videography for them. Like we do photos together. She takes like my media images and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So we, we have like endless things we can be working on and I'm hoping soon um, to transition to working with her a little bit more full-time. Like, I don't know, we're not ready for full-time, full-time, but like, I'd like to work with her more hours. Um, And then Danya is amazing. I actually met her in Miami at my first Miami show. Um, when we were little babies and she's an (laughs) amazing curator and um, she works with me sort of as like my studio manager slash executive assistant. So helps me with the organization of the studio, the purchasing of supplies, the delivery of artwork, the packing and the shipping, which is all like the biggest relief for me, Devana, because that stuff is hard (laughs) and takes so much time. So I feel so, so, so fortunate um, to have both of them. And I love them both so much. And of course, I can't forget my mom who has been with me from the very beginning and has been my business partner the whole way through. She has really been so instrumental in helping me think through every aspect of my business, working with me at every show, flying with me to Miami. Um, and I, it's just been really awesome. (laughs) That's so cool. Is your mom like, she always had like a business background or she, and that's why she like hopped in with you or was this just something like you guys are partners in crime. You guys have a good relationship and you needed help. She was there and it kind of just blossomed from there. Yeah, more more of the second, I think. She's always been so supportive of my art career. Like even when I was trying to be practical and I thought I wasn't gonna be an artist, she was like, No, Sarah, like all you've you were born to do this, so it's gonna happen. So I think she's always been really excited um by my business and committed to helping me in every way that she could. And we've always had a really good relationship and just really enjoy working together and um are really good at like bouncing ideas back and forth. That's awesome. Was there any particular way that you found um, your people? Did you have to put out any job recs or was it just kind of like reaching out, like knowing what you needed and you've thought of people in mind in your network and you're like, Hey, I need help doing this. Would that be something that you'd be interested in doing? Mm, good question. Both of um, both Holly and Danya were were very organic. Um, Holly, actually, I met that <laughs> you're going to laugh. Okay. You know, when I told you about that event, when I met that British girl who introduced me to my new London art studio friend. (laughs) Okay, so at that same event, (laughs) I had just gotten commissioned to paint my first mural, which was a rooftop mural at the Porta Vista Hotel in Little Italy. And um, I met this woman named Holly who was being hired to create like a very short little film about the mural, like she worked with them. Uh, or with the gallery, Gallery 1805, to like do their media type stuff. And mm-hmm. so she introduced herself to me at the at the event and we just exchanged numbers. She was like, yeah, I'm going to come film you a little bit. I'm like, cool. So then 
fast forward a couple weeks, she's there like every day. She creates a 20 minute film, like documentary artist film that is like brings me to tears every time about painting this mural. It was so stunning. And she'd like come by and take these like dope shots of me on the scaffolding. And I'm like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? (laughs) Graduating the iPhone. This is amazing. And, um, And at the time we were creating, I was working on this um, feminist art and film project called Face It. And I invited her to be a B shooter on the shoot that I was doing with this. At the time I was working with a film collective based in Los Angeles and she came along and I was like, wow, like her shots are so beautiful. She's amazing. (laughs) So then for the, the next iteration, I just kind of transitioned to working with her and she's such a go getter. She's like, I can help you with this. And why don't we do this? And actually like last night as I was going to bed, I was thinking about this other thing we should do. And I was like, like, she's, she's really, um, passionate and, like is thinking about things like from a very strategic perspective. So anyway, we yeah. just started working together more and more. And then she was like, I can build you a new website. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Everything <laughs> she says she can do, she can. So um, that's that really great. And then with Danya, like over the years, she's just always kind of reached out to me. And I think that she is such a good example of like the hustle. She has the hustle like that mm-hmm. when people, Uh, you know what I mean? I love that when people like, they're constantly checking in to see like, what do you need? How's it going? Like, and every time I develop my summer gallery, she'd call me up and be like, what's up, Sarah? Like, do you need help with curation? And of course I did. Um, and so it's been for like the past four years, like, oh, one day I'd love to be able to hire Danya. Um, and then, you know, it all just kind of came together 2020 that, um, we got our little, our little team together and it's been so lovely. That's awesome. That's really great that you were able to have those, like build those connections. And then it just kind of work out like that, where like a collaboration of some sort can turn into, you know, a long-term relationship and having mm-hmm. somebody that you can, that can work for you, but you can also help in return, you know, that's awesome. It's always hard to find people like that. So I always love knowing how people find their people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think um, I've had so many collaborators throughout the years and, you know, in the time when I couldn't afford to pay people, um, like eventually down the line, maybe I will be able to and I'll hire them again. So I think that, you know, at the beginning uh, for people maybe looking to work with artists and recognizing that they're not making that much money at the beginning but if you're passionate and you just want to be part of it then hopefully that'll come around in the end and I found that to be how I found my people that's awesome yeah I think it's important to mention that too where it's just like there's so much power if you want to do something or become something whether it's like in the art industry just any industry if you can find that person that you want to like kind of shadow under or like pay to learn from them or things like that like that can help you in so many ways, get you to where you want to be faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that can yeah. be really helpful. And I think like a lot of my collaborations have just started with people like wanting to make art, you know, like it didn't even mm-hmm. start as like an internship. Um, and mm-hmm. then it turns into a relationship that's going to last for a really long time. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun life. <laughs> I love it. So I know we're running up on time. So I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, One just being what would be some like last parting tips or guidance or pieces of advice you'd want to give to the Gangstar listener that is, you know, wanting to do what you do or just take their creative passion to the next level. Yeah. 
I would say, um, I would repeat that there is no right answer and there is no set path. And just because somebody that you're listening to is doing something a certain way, it does not mean that's how you have to do it. Um, and just because these are the opportunities that exist for artists, quote unquote, it does not mean that those are the opportunities that you need to pursue. You can create your own opportunities. And I would just urge you, even if it doesn't feel this way, to recognize the brilliance within you because we've all got it. And to just let yourself shine, really. Like you, there, we, I feel like as, we always hold ourselves back. And I just feel like the world will be such a more beautiful place if you just like go after what it is that you want, you know, and, and don't feel guilty about your successes either. Like, I feel like, especially as women, like so many women feel like they have to always be taking care of everybody, but it's like the, if you're taking mm -hmm. care of yourself and you are like, you know, giving back, you're giving back to your community and um, yeah, just let that light shine and, and go after what you want. And, try not to be afraid and try not to doubt yourself because you're awesome. Love it. Love it. Um, so can you share with the listeners what you have next for you? What can they look forward to? What's going um, on? Yeah. What can I share? Well, I have some exciting potential stuff that I cannot share yet, unfortunately. <laughs> I always um, love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got something really good going on, though. So it's coming, everybody. <laughs> yes, it's coming. There, there might be some very exciting things on the horizon, but please follow me. Uh, my Instagram is at Sarah Stiver, which is S-A-R-A-H-S-T-I-E-B-E-R. -E -E I tend to give lots more hints on there than I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm just, just here in the home studio trying to make some magic happen. So, um, stay tuned. I will look forward to sharing with you what's next at a later date. Awesome. Well, everybody make sure you go follow her. I'm going to have her links to everything in the show notes and under the episode, Sarah, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your wisdom and your journey. This was really an awesome episode and I'm excited to hear from other the gangstar listeners listening to see what they do with the information you shared. And just thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh, Devana, thank you so much for your curiosity and for having me on for asking such insightful and wonderful questions. It's really been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes, and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram, at Devana Stimson, and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.